everyone. Uh, my name is Joyce DeLeo, and welcome to this session of Advancing Women's Leadership in Healthcare. Um, we have uh, four of us here. Uh, I just want to briefly introduce myself, and then I'll introduce the three panelists. I'm a principal here at Wick Kiefer in the academic medicine and um, uh, health sciences practice. Before joining Wick Kiefer, I was a provost at Emanuel College in Boston. And before that, spent 20, almost 25 years at Dartmouth Medical School, where I was the chair of pharmacology and toxicology and worked um, extensively with many women leaders um, to advance women leadership. And one of my um, passions is actually to mentor women, to um, be attracted to roles, to consider applying, um, and I never thought I would enjoy executive search as much as I do today because of the uh, opportunities I have to work with so many accomplished women. So when we put this session together for the AHA meeting, we were very um, saddened to learn that um, it was canceled. And when I reached out to all three of the panelists, everyone said yes. So um, we um, particularly um, are in light of COVID, um, we are seeing uh, a dearth of women candidates um, being attracted to leadership roles. Um, we're seeing a little bit of a pickup now um, that we're in almost, um, you know, the, the fall season. But I think all of us here uh, are really worried that if we don't do enough now, um, especially over the next six months to a year, we're going to look back and say, where are the women leaders? Um, and so this is a perfect time. Thank you for, for taking, you know, a valuable hour of your day to, to hear from these great accomplished women leaders and to think about your journey um, and especially not to postpone it due to COVID. We know you have many challenges with healthcare, with childcare, with parental care, and you've added on new responsibilities in your roles. So, um, I'm now going to introduce each of our panelists um, and then um, move into our discussion. Uh, so um, first I want to introduce Joanne Conroy, um, who is um, the president and CEO of Dartmouth-Hitchcock and Dartmouth-Hitchcock Health since 2017. Um, since um, her time at Dartmouth, and I know from talking to many people at Dartmouth what a wonderful leader um, she is, she has seen significant positive changes, especially a dramatic turnaround in the financial performance each year since she's been the leader. She is also a committed leader um, in advancing equity in the workplace. She's a co-founder of the Women of Impact, a nonpartisan group of 60 female healthcare leaders representing all sectors of the healthcare industry. Um, and she also um, led DH um, into being one of the founding signatories of the Times Up Healthcare Initiative, um, which aims to increase safety and gender equity in the healthcare industry. Um, Joanne was named one of the 100 uh, most influential people in healthcare by Modern Healthcare in 2018. Prior to joining Dartmouth-Hitchcock, um, Joanne served as the CEO of Leahy uh, Hospital and Medical Center in Burlington here in Massachusetts and is a Chief Healthcare Officer for the AAMC. She received her undergraduate degree from Dartmouth um, and her medical degree from MUSC um, where she completed her residency in anesthesiology and she was also the Chief Resident. She's board certified in anesthesiology and a diplomat with the American Academy of Pain Management. Our next speaker, um, Kathy Jacobson, um, is the president and CEO of Freighter Health, which is a healthcare system based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 
She joined Freighter Health in 2010 as Executive Vice President of Finance and Strategy um, and the Chief Financial Officer and Chief Strategy Officer. She was promoted in 2011, becoming the president, and in 2012, she assumed the CEO role. Prior to joining Freighter Health, um, Kathy spent 22 years at Rush University in Chicago in various leadership roles. Kathy's recognitions include being named by Modern Healthcare as one of the 100 most influential people in healthcare in 2019, and by Junior Achievement of Wisconsin as Distinguished Executive of the Year in 2018. She was recognized as a woman of influence by the Milwaukee Business Journal in 2013, and she received an honorary degree um, of a Doctor of Healthcare Leadership from the University of Wisconsin in 2015. Kathy is a member of Healthcare Financial Management Association, serving as the national chair of the board. Um, she's a member of the Chicago Network, an organization for women executives and professional dimensions in Milwaukee. Kathy is a certified public account, accountant. She received her uh, BS degree in accounting from Bradley University. And then our third panelist, um, Janice Biso, is the president of UCLA Health and the CEO of UCLA Hospital System, the associate vice chancellor of UCLA Health Sciences um, since 2016. She, the, she, in, her, in her role, she's a nationally recognized leader um, and oversees all operations of UCLA's hospitals and clinics, as well as health systems regional outreach strategy. Before coming to UCLA, um, Janice spent 22 years at UW Medicine in Seattle. Um, she was promoted from chief nursing officer to the chief operating officer to the chief health system officer, and then the vice president of medical affairs for the University of Washington. Prior to UW, um, Janice is a registered nurse. She rose through the ranks over 12 years at the University of California Davis Medical Center and directed the critical care, trauma and burn center, emergency services, and the Life Flight Air Medical Program. She received her master's degree in healthcare administration and public administration from the University of San Francisco and a bachelor's degree in health sciences from Chapman College. Um, um, Janice is very active in community leadership and served as the LA Community Chair for the Leukemia and Lymphoma, Lymphoma Society, um, as well as the LA Community Chair for the American Heart Association. She's also received numerous awards and recognition throughout her career, most recently being named to Modern Healthcare's Top 25 Most Influential Women Leaders in 2019, um, and modern healthcare's top 50 clinical leaders of 2012 in the US. So thank you all of you for being here with us. I'm going to now turn to Joanne um, to address the, 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 this question is what strategic initiatives have you um, thought about, have you planned, and how are you advancing women um, in leadership roles? Thank Great. you. Thank you, Joyce. It's um, really wonderful to participate in this great panel. Um, I would um, probably organize my thoughts in four different buckets. So um, the first bucket is the board leadership. It always starts at the top. So we spent probably the first couple of years orienting the board to the importance of diversity. When I came here of the 22 members of the board, um, probably fewer than a quarter were women and there was no diversity on the board. Um, we actually had an interesting inflection point when 
people were rotating off the board and we were in danger of going as low as 15% of the board being women. And I have to say in the governance committee, I, I just laid out the facts and the trajectory and emphasized that high performing organizations have at least 30, at least one third of their board members are women. And also increasing the focus on diversity would have to be a strategic priority of ours. And I have to say that the board responded immediately. And they said, of course, you know, the next person that we add to the board needs to be a woman. And the person after that needs to be somebody of a diverse background. And it wasn't a difficult conversation, but um, people look at our board and they look at our board to reflect um, the values of the organization. Having said that, most of us probably have some pretty haphazard board recruitment processes and your board members probably recruit other board members. It's not surprising they recruit people that are in their social circles or in their work circles and they're often people that look like them. And I would have to say our board is really great about appreciating the fact that they have to recruit more than people that they know within their close-knit circles. And um, the board will just be stronger because of that. The second thing we started to do is on our high-level searches, we have explicit expectations for many outside search firms that we have a diverse candidate pool. But we often blind our resumes when we go through the first resume analysis um, part of the process. You know, you can get a hundred resumes for a VP position and there's some probably very good candidates that don't make it out of that pile because of some of our unconscious bias. And so we try to um, mask anything that would indicate both gender or race. And sometimes that may um, mean that we have to blind the resumes of all the schools and all the names, but it's really the best way to get your most diverse pool of candidates into your you know, final 10 or 15 that you're gonna interview either by video or in person. The third bucket is really development. Once you get people here, you need to develop them. And when I came here, there were no um, women's leadership programs at all. And we started one probably within two months of my arrival. And I can tell you they were thirsty for it. And we will host Saturday sessions where we bring in outside speakers and 100 people will show up. And even post COVID, we'll have 150 actually show up on Zoom meetings. Um, I, I think we don't under, we can't underestimate the importance of really developing the people you have, um, giving them a voice at every single stage of their development from assistant to associate to full professor, their needs are different. We've created learning circles really in the kind of um, lean in kind of methodology that um, continue even through the pandemic. So I'm, you know, you would think that would be a good reason to drop something like that, but that's not been the case. And finally, and I think most importantly, we have to be very intentional about networking inclusivity. This is something that's invisible. It's more of a micro inequity, but when you bring a woman or a diverse um, candidate and hire them and add them to your organization, that's just the beginning, it's not the end. And you need to 
help them join networks within your organization and outside your organization so they can develop and be successful. And the lack of those is why people feel like they don't aren't included or don't belong. And inclusive, inclusivity and belonging is the key to retention for both women and diverse candidates when you recruit them in their organization. Thank you, Joanne. Um, so now let's move to Kathy. Yeah, sure. So um, I would say everything, you know, Joanne said we've been working on as well, but maybe let me add just a, a little bit uh, of different color to that maybe. You know, I think both in both of the organizations that I was in recognized, and I think Joanne touched on it, people really tend to recruit people, whether they're for your board, for your leadership team, those networks, based on who you know. And, and we're not, uh, we're actually not a country we know where those networks cross over, you know, in terms of diversity. So that's really where I learned the lesson of intentionality. You know, I was, you know, probably early on in my career thought, you know, if you're great, you rise to the top, that's not necessarily the case. You have to be very, very intentional um, about creating those networks and creating that visibility, you know, to the numbers. So at our board, we use reflection of our community, you know, whether that's, and we look at gender and we look at race and we make sure that we have certain numbers that we're shooting for. Uh, we've significantly increased both of those um, aspects of diversity on our board over the last 10 years, you know, that I have been here. Um, in terms of our leadership, I think it was really for us, you know, I think it was a difficult conversation I actually had with my leadership team because we, our workforce is 80% female. And of course, that's not unusual in healthcare. We know that, you know, that we're predominantly female. So there wasn't, we actually had a disagreement about what was the definition of diversity. As we started looking at our executive recruitments and mandating several years ago that you had to have a diverse slate, very much like Joanne talked about, there was actually an argument over whether gender meant diversity, you know, at our executives and above. And of course, we're your classic pyramid. You know, I mean, all of our women leaders show up kind of through the director level. And then at our vice president level and above, which we define as executive, we get to 50%. All the way up to the very top, the top 12, including myself, we have two, two out of 12. Um, so clearly, you know, we're losing, you know, folks as we go up the chain. So yes, once we presented those statistics to the entire team, we're like, yeah, you know, gender counts, just like racial minorities count in terms of looking for diversity and mandating that diversity in terms of your slate. Um, we actually, I have visibility into every executive recruit that we do, and we mandate that the live interviews have to have diversity of interview, you know. So again, like Joanne said, so much of this stuff falls out during a resume process. You have to get folks to the table to be able to do that. And then um, what we did in terms of leadership, again, kind of recognizing this gap at the leadership level, we have organizations that we call business resource groups as part of our diversity and inclusion efforts that are, you know, as, as you would think, Black, African-American, Latinx, LGBTQ veterans, actually, is where we started out. And again, recognized that we needed to foster the women's leadership in our organization so that people had a voice. Um, and we created that, you know, the women's leadership BRG, essentially for directors and above. Um, so because that's where we start to thin out in the organization is where clearly something's going on there. Um, that women are not being promoted at the same rate up into those executive ranks. So a lot of that same thing from the inside and from the outside, 
Um, and now, you know, working very deliberately on mentoring programs. Um, but I think it's that intentionality. And I think that, you know, while we're all trying to create um, inclusive environments, it's so many different aspects of diversity that we're really trying to define. Um, and I think at least in our own organization that struggle that gender means diversity also as well, um, because we're so predominant um, in the workforce, but we just vanish you know, as you get to the tops. Um, so that I'd say just adding on to some of the comments Joanne made. Probably lastly, one of our other big things, and we do this more, we do this nationally and locally, we're a large organization and we feel we should have impact by, by making statements um, publicly. So whether it's um, the AHA's, you know, equity, you know, collaborative, we are a member of the equity collaborative that was formed by the Carol Emmett Foundation. I know my colleagues, you know, are also as well because we believe that making a statement to that effect and there are metrics you know that you actually measure and you measure them with your peers over time and we can make that statement to our internal folks also as well that we mean it you know and we have a, a number of those different external pledges which really show our efforts um, whether they're on a local diversity you know initiative that we're doing here in Milwaukee or a national stage um, like we're doing with the equity collaborative. Thank you, Kathy. So now let's turn to um, Janice. Well, thank you, Joyce, and it's a pleasure to be here. And I would echo what my colleagues, uh, Kathy and Joanne, have mentioned and um, just add a few more comments. Um, I'd like to look at it really from the lens of four areas primarily. The first is leadership, the second is culture, the third is the equity, diversity, and inclusion. And then fourth, and I think most important, is engagement and belonging, because we can have a lot of efforts for being inclusive, but unless we create that culture of belonging, it's very hard for people to thrive um, in an organization. And similar to what was mentioned, um, I really, um, when I first came into UCLA Health, and I was the first female executive in this role in the history, so that was a great opportunity for me to come in and assess the culture and see what I could do to really advance really diversity in the organization. And you know, I'm thrilled to work at a place where from the top down at our campus and throughout our institution, there's such a great commitment. But it was really about starting and looking at every aspect of the organization. And as Joanne mentioned, looking at the boards that are advisory boards that provide input for our four hospitals and our 200 clinics in the region. How do I make sure that we're really representing the Los Angeles community in diversity? How are we creating those opportunities? And again, many times those positions it are recommended from a friend of a friend. So it's really looking at the bylaws. How do you create those? How do you really have nominating committees that are really looking to fill gaps and voids um, in diversity? The second is really assessing then the culture in the institution and really hearing the voices from all levels of staff about how they're feeling. And I've been grateful and appreciative of some really key councils that we've had at UCLA Health where employees bring their voices into us, things that we may not necessarily hear. Um, for me as a person who kind of worked their way up from the bedside in healthcare, I knew how important that is um, and was important in my sense of belonging in every role that I've had is knowing that I had a voice in where the institution was going. And then we had to really take a look at 
all of our human resources processes, our search committees, were we really casting the net wide enough to bring in the best candidates? Was everyone on the search committee, had they had training on implicit bias? Were we making sure that all of our leaders were educated? And so a lot of work that continues to go in that effort. But again, I feel that you really have to make that investment in the education. And then the next area was looking at how do we create those opportunities and making sure that as we're looking at investing in administrative internships, administrative fellowships, mentorship programs, are we really creating not only the programs, but then the subsequent opportunities um, for women and other people of color in our organization as well? We have so many areas to address. Um, I really feel that we, like other organizations, are on that journey. And it's great to be able to share best practices within healthcare on ways that we can continue to improve. Thank you, Janice. So you've heard from all of these very accomplished women leaders who are trying to push their um, strategic plans and ideas forward in their own institutions. And now we'd like to turn to some of the questions that came in. Um, and please feel free, Joanne, Kathy, and Janice, to, to you know, add more to our discussion this afternoon. Um, and then we had a couple of questions that were very similar, so I'll start with this one. What education, certificates, um, and experiences did you find most useful in becoming a leader? So why don't I start? Because um, I'm the person with the fewest letters after my name. I just have an MD. Um, I actually found um, education and organization development to be one of the most important insights you could have as a leader. Um, because it, it gives you um, kind of a connection between um, values and behaviors and, um, and culture within the organization. And I started becoming a student of it probably in the late 1990s. And it's really helped me understand um, what drives an organization almost the minute I walk through the door. And um, it's the beginning point, but it's something that I don't think we learn about very frequently in our healthcare training and probably in a lot of our other training opportunities. And it's given me some great insight on how to tackle situations and how do I understand motivation of individuals and organizations. Thank you. Janice or Kathy, any yeah, other questions? I would agree. You know, I think some of the best opportunities come from seeking opportunities within your own organization to lead projects, to be part of multidisciplinary teams, um, and to take on those opportunities, even if they're outside your scope of work, it's a great way to learn a lot more. And when I think back on my career, some of my best learning experiences came from volunteering for those projects. The other thing that I'll say is I think some of the most important lessons are learned in things that don't go so well, right? So when you're leading a project and a team and you expect it to go really well, but something happens and it doesn't go well, and how well can you kind of write that ship or redirect the plan? It is something um, that even as I'm looking for leaders within the institution, I tend to look for those 
who have that resilience, who were able to overcome some obstacle and get us back on track. Um, because I think some of the best opportunities come from that. Healthcare is so unpredictable and we really need to have people who are able to really think on their feet and um, create ways to get us out of a crisis. Thank yeah, you. so let me jump in on that. I think, you know, in terms of education and certifications, I think really we're a perfect example that there's not just one path. Yeah. You know, all three of us come up from a very different professional, you know, formal education background. So I agree too that it's the experiences um, that actually get you here. And I know from my own, and Joanne kind of touched on this also as well, is kind of when you climb to the top of your, your professional silo within healthcare, go find a, a volunteer part of, that you can lead outside of there. And I know my journey was leading our human resources steering committee with our chief operating officer when I was at Rush because I had a vast um, feeling that we could do better on the people side and I wanted to be part of that voice. And that was actually probably one of my best experiences about learning about not only the formal structures within human resources, but really the organizational design, the learning, you know, and how you do all of those different types of things. But I think it's anything you can do to step up, volunteer for something outside of maybe the traditional way you came up would be great. The other big thing that has helped me immensely throughout my career, and, and quite frankly, I'm on outside, you know, groups with both of these ladies here, is get involved outside of your organization and network. Um, whether it's your professional associations, you can tell I was um, originally with Healthcare Financial Management Association, boards, you know, different roundtables and, you know, and different groups that you can be in, because you will learn, it's so much safer to learn from your peers, you know, and people who you can trust and kind of let your hair down a little bit and say, wow, I'm struggling with this. I, I you know, have you dealt with this? Can pick up the phone, um, you know, and just, you just learn in different ways and you're able to bring so many, so many good insights back that aren't just going to help you professionally, they're going to help your organization also as well. So that's been another great experiential, you know, way to get experience for me. And I'd like, also like to add a, a little bit more from our search experience. A lot of candidates always ask me, should I get an MBA? Should I go back and get another master's? And I always counter it and say, but do you want to learn more about this area? Don't just add the, the letters behind your name if you're not excited about the educational experience. Um, and I think that last word I just said is key, it's experience. Um, and what, how I always coach candidates is to think about your resume or CV as accomplishments. So under your roles, your leadership roles, put bullets of what you've accomplished um, with metrics, with detail, and that'll share so much more about your, um, your skill set than it will just adding more degrees. Yeah. So um, you touched on some of these already, um, but maybe you could just add a little bit more about how you identify, mentor, and develop other women leaders within your organization and externally. So how do you how do you think about um, internal promotions? How do you think about how do you find um, people within your organization? Um, so if you could touch upon that, I think that would be very helpful. I, I'll jump in. I know we have started to put together a formal executive development but talent um, talent management program over the last couple of years. 
um, to make it more formal than ad hoc, but we're still an organization um, that, you know, you kind of can, I get enough view that I can see a good number of people. And I think it's just whether they're male or female um, is just making sure that you remember them and then start promoting them for other projects in your organization. So I always tell the story of, we have an executive director right now, we're about to put her in charge of four of our neighborhood hospitals. She led planning during our pandemic and our recovery. She almost got let go out of our physician practice because they had to do a downsizing, but because I had worked with her early on when she was a planning associate, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. You know, I mean, just because we are having some financial issues in the practice, my gosh, you know, pull this young lady up. Um, we can use her in the system, you know, those types of things. So we're trying to put structures in place now to make sure that isn't just me, you know, saving somebody at the last minute and that we get more formal about that. But I think, you know, all of us, you know, get exposure to talent in our organizations and just making sure that we relay that you know, to other people and that sponsorship. I know people that I've met throughout my career, folks who used to work with me, you know, my former organization, I still have them, you know, kind of on speed dial in my head. It's like, if okay, does somebody need a CFO recommendation? These are some great women who worked for me, you know, in the past and everything. I mean, and just constantly kind of having that stable of talent and being very cognizant of, of promoting that going forward. People are surprised how, how easy it is to get to me you know, once they actually send an email or they make a phone call, it's like, yep, come in and talk to me. You know, I mean, um, I make time for that on my calendar to make sure that they feel like they have access to some. And sometimes it's just a casual conversation. Sometimes it's somebody wants some more direct advice about how, whether they're inside the organization or outside. And I find that there's a lot that you gain as, as either that mentor or that sponsor that they reflect and help me become a better leader also as well. It's a valuable experience. You know what? I think that all of our organizations have this many layers of bureaucracy and sometimes it's really hard for a really good young person to be seen. And the most satisfying um, times of my career is when you actually had a young person that showed drive and initiative and you put them in charge of a project that people thought, whoa, why, why would you do that? And you give them a chance and they blow everybody's socks off. So we've got a ton of talent at many layers in our organization. We've just got to recognize that the bureaucracy sometimes gets in the way of people being seen and appreciated. So Kathy, like identifying that woman that was maybe going to lose her job with a reduction in force, those are the things that we need to be constantly thinking about in our organization so you don't lose that great talent. Yeah, I would agree. I think, you know, talent spotting is one of our key roles and so important to retention. And it is, you know, definitely something that, that I'm always looking for. It was interesting because during the COVID-19 pandemic, when we had so many different things to lead and three, over 300 new policies and protocols to get in place, um, I looked in the organization to the people that I know who can get things done, regardless of their title or their position or their level in the organization. And we quickly assigned a lot of those projects to these stars. Um, it is one of the things that I always you know, tell our management team. If you're doing a great job at, at your current job, I'm gonna find you and I'm gonna spot you and see you. 
It isn't always the person who's coming in every year asking for that next promotion. It's people who are really being successful in the role they are in. You know they can handle more. And that's been, I think, a great source of internal promotions um, as well. And I think that, you know, in an organization, particularly when you have such a talented workforce and people who can work anywhere in the country, you have to be able to continue to show those opportunities for growth, whether it's a promotion or just being able to lead a key project for the organization. And similar to what Joanne said, it's great when we see those people shine um, and it is really a sense of re-recruiting them every day back to the organization. Right. A question came in about how do women advance when they're managers? Um, because there's many managers. Um, so how do you get seen, I think is part of that question. Um, and we had another question similar to that is, if someone's on the inpatient side, so again, you're not seen as maybe a, a leader yet, how do you move into administration? So both those questions are similar and, and yet you get typecast in a way of what you're doing. H how do you move beyond that? Yeah, well, I can start out as that because I, you know, I was someone who did come up through that journey. I, was, I started my career as a staff nurse in critical care, progressed to the next level of charge nurse and nurse manager. And so I would say that um, as there were opportunities for progressive leadership experience, right, um, I did pursue those or were asked to pursue those. So I wouldn't put yourself in that box. I think you know, there are so many avenues and I, you know, personally feel it's great to bring up people who have the lens of different levels of the organization, right? Because they're in tune with what's important to the staff at the front line of how we keep people engaged and connected to purpose. So I love bringing that voice up in the institution. And, and I would say, you know, make sure that your supervisor or director knows that you're interested in different opportunities and seek them out on how you can potentially fill the gaps, whether it be mentorship or other opportunities to make you the best candidate for that next position. That's great. Um, another question came in about um, those organizations that are specifically for women, like women professional development groups, et cetera. Um, how do others perceive that? Is it too selective? Um, I'm an ELAM fellow and always the, the ELAM organization says, well, until there's enough women, at least 50% in leadership roles, we will be exclusive to women. But do you feel, you, you've talked about each of you that you do have professional development programs for women. Do, do men feel that they're not a part of it? Um, and how do we mentor, um, obviously, all groups? Of course they do. And they say, what about men? And I say, um, you know what, for a hundred years, you've come first. I said, let's catch up a little bit. And when we catch up, we'll have programs for everybody. But right now we have a lot of catching up to do. Yeah, yeah I think Joanne did it. Per I had this argument with my leadership team about, you know, how can gender possibly be a diversity factor? Um, you know, when 80% of our workforce is is female and you know and again it's like we're not even close to being representative you know let us you have to be intentional about catching up um and that is really and and i have to say that was a, a mindset change for me probably in the last 20 years that yes you do 
you have to be intentional about it. And I think the other thing that was, you know, you know, just, you know, eight years as a CEO is it's okay to do that, even as a female leader. I think sometimes that, you know, at least me, you know, initially you're like, oh my gosh, I can't be the female champion because I'm the CEO of the whole organization. You know, I mean, and everything and yes, it is. And it's okay. And, and that's something that I think we had to get, or at least me, I had to get over also as well. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. You know, we have so much catching up to do. We see that, we all see that locally. We see it nationally, you know, right. where the three of us are on boards together because there aren't that many of us, right? So it isn't, it isn't the same um, as it is, um, you know, for the male gender. There's just so few of us. And so I agree, we have to have special programs that allow that advancement. Mm -hmm. And this question I'd love to address before we run out of time, and that is, how can we address specific challenges related to women of color rising to the top? Um, and is me being in, in the search consultant world, I, I want more diverse candidates. Um, I reach out to diverse um, leaders for nominations, but can you address, you know, this, you know, this is really an, a desperate need for us in healthcare. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'll start on that. That's been a big effort um, for us right now at UCLA Health. And in fact, one of the new committees that we have that was started by a group of our Black leaders in the organization is a Black Leaders Coalition. And that group, some of our best and brightest leaders are bringing forward um, new information for us on how we need to look at things through a lens that is more inclusive. And again, it isn't just about saying we have X, Y, and Z programs for EDI. It's about how we create those programs so there is a sense of belonging and a sense that we are actually moving the needle on those. So um, I'm really looking forward to that work ahead. I think um, we have really important things to put in place to really advance in that area. Yeah, I would, I, when I look at all the data on salary equity and promotion, um, African-American women and Hispanic women are the most disadvantaged. Uh, then white women and then Asian in that order. And um, we have to train our search committees to be, um, much more sensitive about their own internal biases. That's where it starts. We all have internal biases. What we need to do is make us conscious about them and the impact it may have on our decisions. Um, and that's a long journey, but you have to have a commitment at a board level that you're gonna increase the diversity, especially allowing um, women of color to move to leadership roles within your organization. Yeah, I would add probably two things. You know, our, our women's leadership group is searching out the leaders we have already that are women of color to make sure that that voice is heard and make sure that they join that group. And I think the other thing is sometimes, you know, unless people can see themselves in a role, they don't believe they can be in the role. And so sometimes you have to recruit outside, you know, to say, yes, we have a very prominent woman of color who's our chief operating officer at our academic medical center, you know, and that's years of widening the net and insisting on diverse panels and insisting on, you know, that we were able to accomplish that. We didn't go hunting for that person. She came in from a broader net. 
and amazingly accomplished, you know, woman who is in that, in that position. And we're seeing people now from the outside say, wow, maybe Prater might be okay, you know, because I can see somebody in that role. So again, and there, we have some, you know, black women leaders, very prominent community leaders on our board, you know, so making sure that people see those leaders there, then they believe that this might be a place where they can be successful as well. And a great comment came in about creating planned rotations for middle and senior leaders as a way to create a pipeline for internal candidates, especially women. Have either any of you that on our panelists, have you ever thought of that? Yes, we do some programs like that to get people opportunities to spend time to shadow with other roles to do a, you know, focused preceptorship. I think that can be really beneficial. Yeah, we call them stretch assignments. So if you're identified through our talent management program, which today goes down to the director level, we put your name kind of in a queue that if a system-wide project comes up, um, that we go to you, you know? So I, we're, pretty, we're getting pretty deliberate about making sure that we can cross-fertilize people and, and give them those experiences that will stretch them and move them. Yeah, great. And especially for young, ambitious um, professionals right. who are looking for that opportunity. Um, um, so now I'm going to address this question, which I think is, is really interesting, is do any of you have insights on how to boost confidence and remove mindset barriers that may prevent women from seeking out their goals? Um, I, I like that one. <laughs> yeah, this is a top um, yeah. um, point of conversation at almost every women's leadership group. Sometimes women, um, you know, if there's a, a list of 10 requirements to do or apply for a job and they only have nine, they say, well, I'm not ready. And if often a man may have one or two and they'll say, well, that's a job for me. And it is just making sure that women have the confidence that they have the skills and the experience to do the job. Sometimes it just takes somebody from outside saying, this is your job, you should go for it. And all of a sudden they believe, but um, it is very important for them to really embrace the fact that this job is theirs to apply for and, um, and believe in themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually had to tell um, younger women who, who sit, have you ever noticed the dynamic that you're in a conference room and there's the people who sit around the table and then the people who sit around the side, you know, notice who's sitting on the side and not at the table um, and literally telling them, no, you need to come up and sit here. This is where you belong. And it's nine times out of 10, it's a female chair, it's a female administrator and they're sitting on the side of the room. It makes a difference. Uh, you know, and just telling them, no, I need you here, and I need your voice here. Um, you know, I think that, you know, just helping them and making them feel that it's safe mm -hmm. to do that, you know, I think that that's something that we all need to, to do, reach out and do. I agree, and, and making sure that we're actually seeking out feedback from people who might be, you know, a little less reluctant, particularly in meetings or groups where we have a lot of people that are vocal and want to speak all the time um, and others that are maybe a little more reserved. How do you really elicit that feedback that becomes really important? The other thing I'll say, and you know, I think back to an experience earlier in my career 
when I was being um, recruited to two different organizations um, for kind of relatively the same position. But when I interviewed at one organization um, and the, the, the pay was actually higher, the title even sounded more, but it was um, all men. I was the only female there. And I just sensed that I was not gonna have a voice there. The other institution, even though the pay was less and the title was, you know, didn't sound as great, I re I, there were other women on the team. There were, I saw women in leadership and higher levels in the organization. And I felt an immediate sense of belonging there that I wasn't just someone who was coming in as, you know, more to be just be the, the one female that was hired and was really going to be having a limited role. So I think about that a lot as I think about the organizational culture when you come in. How does that look? How do people feel? And how are, as, are we as leaders changing that dynamic so that people feel this is a place where they do belong and their voice is going to be heard? Yeah, all of your comments highlights why we need more women leaders yeah. as CEOs as in, in every level, because you're um, reaching out to other women. Um, and, and so you're, you're being that conduit. Um, so one thing I wanted to talk about before we run out of time is, is mentorship versus sponsorship. Um, and so we know with boards, um, often with networking, uh, men are on boards, so they'll reach out to other uh, male colleagues, and we kind of perpetuate uh, a more male um, at, at very senior le levels. And we've been talking about sponsorship with the Equity Collaborative um, and just how we can do a better job of that. So I wondered if one of you could just take that on, is what is the difference between mentorship and sponsorship? And how can the people think about those two aspects? So why don't I take a stab at this? So mentorship is um, different from sponsorship. A mentorship is somebody that's going to help you um, kind of guide you through the minefields maybe in your organization. They're going to um, talk to you about managing or organizational culture. You may have an ongoing conversation with them maybe once a month that um, you ask for feedback about how you're managing your career. And mentorship relationships often do develop into long-term friendships. Sponsorship is something different. A sponsor is somebody that puts your name forward somebody that says you need to look at this person you know funny Joyce some I think some of my best sponsors were search consultants that would say you need to look at this woman um, so a sponsor is somebody very different um, somebody that knows you they're interested in you but they're taking a little bit of professional risk because if you don't turn out to be a great candidate you know it was their kind of professional cred on the line that they put your name forward. Um, but there's, there's somebody that really believes that um, you need to be given those opportunities as a leader. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, another question was, how can we support women with families um, to join leadership teams um, and staying or returning to the workforce? 
Um, I've seen a little bit of change um, with leaders on Zooms where leaders will um, actually stop and, and if there's a child that comes into the room on a Zoom, will actually pause and say, oh, let's meet your, your son or daughter. So that's a huge change from the, the way it used to be. So um, how are is the three of you thinking about, you know, family care? How do we, how do you balance family care? Do you think it, it's it's becoming easier to talk about family um, and the intersection between family and balance. You know, maybe I'll go because I actually crafted my own part-time job um, as I went up through the career after I had my first child, tried to do the dual career thing full on, you know, with, and it just wasn't what my husband and I wanted to do. And um, went in and said, this is how I want to go part-time. I'll reduce my salary. These are the days a week I'm going to work. You know, and back then we didn't have Zoom. We didn't have virtual, you know, so, I mean, you were kind of disconnected, you know, during that time. Um, would have phone calls with sometimes a little voice, you know, would keep up in the background, you know, type of thing. Um, I think, you know, you do have to, I, I worked very hard on making sure that I had a very credible career before I asked for that, number one. And that they knew I was a valuable asset, so they gave that to me. And then when I went back full time, I think that they got paid back in spades for making that investment in me. Um, so I think that sometimes you just have to ask, and you would be surprised, you know, on how your managers will work with you. I do think that this new work from home environment enables us in ways we could never envision, say, 10 years ago, um, about how this can be balanced. But you have to balance it. You can't be doing your work with a two-year-old on your lap. You know, I mean, you've got to be able to figure out when you're working and when you're not working and how you're balancing that um, going back and forth. But I do think that it's, you know, but you have to take, it's, it's kind of one of these things, no one's going to offer that to you. You kind of need to craft it yourself. It's kind of like taking control of your own career and figuring that out. But you should never think that you have to make one all-in or all-out choice. I think that there are many ways to balance it, but you have to look for it and be creative and you have to ask for it. Yeah, I would agree. And I think as employers, right, there's an additional accountability, you know, now being placed on us if we really want to re recruit and retain these talented workforces of women, we have to look at how we can be flexible, how we can offer programs that help support that. Um, you know, we've had a lot of needs, even recently through the COVID-19 pandemic, when the schools were all immediately, you know, closed and people had young children in the house. And so much of our workforce in direct patient care is women. We had to look at a lot of creative alternatives to try to provide support. And I think, you know, it is something that particularly this generation is going to demand more of that from employers. And that's probably a good thing. Yes, I agree. So could each of you share a piece of advice or encouragement um, that's really stuck with you and shaped your leadership perspective? So I'll share one. Um, I think people need to remember that um, they expect their leaders regardless of what they're going through. And you know, we've all gone through a lot with COVID. Um, to lead with energy and enthusiasm. Sometimes I used to think that I just needed to work harder and do more. You know, I was senior associate dean and chair and taking full call um, in anesthesia and just burning the 
candle at both ends. If you start looking tired, doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, if you start looking tired, um, people start to worry about you. People want their leaders to um, have a sense of energy and um, lead with, yeah, lead with real passion and energy. And so you have to take care of yourself. You have to think about how you sleep. You've got to work out. You've got to be strong. And it, it's not just the work you do. It is actually re-energizing yourself. Nobody wants a tired leader. That's great advice. I would agree. You know, I would also say, you know, I, I think being genuine and authentic um, and consistent, right, is what, what people want to see from us as we're trying to really inspire the workforce to go forward. Um, that consistency and knowing that we walk the talk of what we're really asking the people to do um, to deliver on our mission and vision. I think that's really important, and I think people really want to see that from leadership, whatever level of leader you're, you are in the, in the institution. Yeah, I'll kind of blend the two, is, is that I think, you know, you have to be trustworthy and transparent as a leader. If you say you're going to do something, you have to do it, um, and be transparent about when you can't you know, and, and be very, very clear. And, and I think that's probably, all of us have been very, very tested in that over the last five and a half, six months. Um, but I think that that'll carry you through as a leader anytime. Recognize your own signs when you're, um, when you're getting stressed and when you're not at your best. Um, there's, you know, leadership is a constant journey. I, I use an executive coach who's taught me to spot my own signs, you know, my own triggers. Um, some of my team who are particular triggers, you know, that you just need to kind of learn how to, you know, modulate yourself through so that you can be that best leader, you know, that you can. And some days it's okay where I had one last week where I just needed to go and just needed to leave at five o'clock because we had just um, had enough COVID and had enough racial tension and had enough stuff, you know, going on. Sometimes you just have to recognize when you need to recharge um, so that you can come in the next day and lead people who are also scared and tired um, and to be able to go forward. And, and that is a, a real recognition that, you know, we have to face ourselves. You have to be good for everybody else. And I would just like to add my perspective um, for, for women um, is when a search consultant reach out to, reaches out to you, even if it's not the right opportunity, you may say, well, this is not the right one, but there could be something else for me. And then importantly, um, as a mentor myself, is I encourage everyone, um, men and women, to, to um, carve out time for your own professional development. Carve out time, and, and I always tell um, junior faculty when I was chair, put in your calendar once a month, an hour, you know, first thing in the morning, if you're a morning person or at the end of the day, where you're going to update your CV your, or your resume, you're going to think, you're going to actually peruse, search um, websites and see what's out there. You're going to reach out to your networks and, and ask for help to, you know, what, what do you think, Kathy? What do you think, Joanne? But if you don't carve it out, it, it evaporates. And then suddenly six months goes by and you're, and you're turning around, you're doing great work but you're not being um, just, just thinking about yourself. Um, you really need to be, you know, you know, almost like 
hoarding your time just to, to make sure that you progress so that you don't look back and say, I could have, I should have. Um, and I want you to take um, really inspiration from these three leaders. They all had different paths, um, but you can tell they all also have vulnerabilities um, and they're, they're, they're here sharing this experience with us, which shows that I think to have more women leaders, I think it's gonna really help healthcare um, and, and the patients that you um, work with. So it'll rise all boats. But I just wanted to, in the last few minutes to thank everyone for participating in this because what you've done is you've taken out an hour, which will be a start of your um, professional journey. Um, I really wanna thank um, Joanne and John East and Kathy for your um, time today, um, for, for sharing your thoughts and your perspectives. Hopefully we'll be at AHA next year together in San Diego or wherever yeah. that's going to be. Yeah. Um, and, and things will be on the other side. Um, but again, um, I encourage everyone to, to think about what, where you'd like to be six months to a year from now and chart that um, course. Um, anything that you'd like to end with, Joanne, um, Joanice, or Kathy, that I haven't um, shared? No, thank you, Joyce, for um, making this happen. It was yeah. a pleasure. Thank you. Thank, um, you. thank you very much. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, everyone. Um, thank you for tuning in. We invite you to visit wikiefer.com to learn more about our expertise in leadership and view our open searches. You can follow Wikiefer on our socials, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, at Wikiefer. Wikiefer makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only. Reliance on the information provided in this podcast is undertaken at your own risk. This podcast should not be considered professional advice. Third-party materials or the contents of any third-party site referenced in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions, standards, or policies of Wikiefer. Wikiefer assumes no responsibility or liability for the accuracy or completeness of the content contained in third-party materials or on third-party sites referenced in this podcast or the compliance with applicable laws of such materials and or links referenced herein. Wikiefer makes no warranty that this podcast or the server that makes it available is free of viruses, worms, or other elements or codes that manifest contaminating or destructive properties. Wikiever expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, reliance on, or inability to use this podcast for the information presented in this podcast. 